Good morning, everyone. It's good to see everyone here at Hillcrest Baptist Church on this Thursday morning. A great crowd for a Thursday morning Bible conference. Amen. What a service we had last night. I'm glad that the Lord showed up and showed out. We had two saved last night, and, 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 and I'm just expecting God to do more and more. Amen. Now, just like Brother Glenn spoke to you last night, I want you to know if, if you are here and you are a guest, we are so excited to, to have you. But for those of us who are Hillcrest members, listen, this is our revival here. And I'm here to tell you, I, I, I believe Hillcrest needs it in church. I'm going to tell you I need it. Amen. Uh, so, But we are so excited to have you. I have a few announcements I'm going to tell you just to kind of get those out of the way. If you are a visitor, we are really excited to, 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 to have you. If you have your Bible, turn with me to... Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, I'd like to begin to read in verse 37. God has called us who know him to be his witnesses. Amen? In Acts chapter 1, it's what he told his disciples. He said, I'm about to go, but after I'm gone, the Holy Ghost is going to come upon you and you will be my witnesses. We have been called by God to give testimony to that which we have experienced in him. Today, for just a few moments, I want to show you what a witness looks like. In Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 37, I'm going to ask you to stand with me in reverence to the word of God. Peter's been preaching the gospel. And here's what happened in verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as our Lord God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is trustworthy, it is perfect, it is living, and it's sharper than a two-edged sword. And God, I pray today that you would cause it to leap off the page and you would preach it to us just Lord, dismiss me. Just set me to the side and let us hear from heaven. And may it be that Jesus the Christ gets all the glory, all the praise, all the honor, for it's in his name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. What does an effective witness look like? I have seen folks who really do a great job at presenting the gospel to someone. They seem to be so clear and so concise and they just deliver the message so well. And then I've heard, seen other people who kind of stumbled through it and, and you're like, how could anybody get saved? Matter of fact, I've shared the gospel sometimes and I thought, how could anybody get saved after that? And lo and behold, if they didn't do it. You know what I found out? I found out if the Holy Ghost isn't in it, it doesn't matter how good you are or how poorly you do. If he's not in it, it don't matter. And so I figured out that being a witness is absolutely my responsibility. I have a responsibility to share the good news of Jesus Christ with others. But let me tell you this. It's Jesus who does the saving. 
Amen. It's Jesus who does the saving. I can save no one. I love young, young Christians. You know, new Christians. Pastor, you've had this happen. They'll introduce me to somebody and they'll say, this Pastor Rock, he saved me. <laughs> yeah, I have to correct them in a hurry because I'm like, if I saved you, you're in trouble. You got troubles like you don't even know. And so you have to help them. I understand what they're saying. And here's what they're saying in my interpretation. I just got to be there when it happened. And I sure like to be there when it happens, don't you? So what is it that we can do? Obviously, we got to have the Holy Ghost, obviously. But I want to show you what an effective witness looks like. What is it that we do? What is it that we say? We find that the Apostle Peter's been preaching. I wish I had time to preach the whole chapter 2. But, but you remember the beginning of chapter 2, don't you? They were all gathered together in a room, and all of a sudden the windows blew open, and the rushing wind of the Holy Spirit came in. And the Bible said they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, cloven tongues of fire set upon each of their head, they begin to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and everybody there heard in their own tongue. It was a miracle of God. Let me tell you what they preached. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on the cross for your sins. Three days later, God raised him from the dead and if you'll receive him, you'll be saved. That was the message they preached. Amen. I'm glad we've got that in common with them, don't we? That's our message. Amen. I said that's our message. Well, the Bible tells us to get to verse 37. And uh, now when they heard this, this message of the gospel, and I mean Peter had really laid it out. When they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Listen to this. An effective witness has a convicting message. A convicting message. The Bible said they were pricked to their heart. L listen, I want to show you something. He hadn't even given an invitation yet. And they said, what shall we do? Do you know that their hearts were pricked? That means they were convicted. You know what it means to be convicted uh, when you're found out for your sin. Have you ever seen someone who was on trial and the jury brings back a guilty sentence and there they are. They are convicted. And boy, you see it on their face. I've seen it on the face of folks in church before. I grew up in a preacher's house, and I remember many, many times. I can't count how many times we come home, and at lunch, my daddy's sitting there, and we're eating, and he'd say, boy, there were some folks under conviction today. After learning that a few times, I got to looking around on Sunday. I, I was just a boy. I didn't know what that meant. What does that mean? They're under conviction. Well, now I'm telling you, I can see it too. And from the pulpit, you can see when God's got on somebody's heart and conviction falls on their face. It's when the truth reveals us for who we are. And Peter has preached the gospel that Jesus was crucified, buried, and resurrected. And he told these folks, you did it. You're the reason why. You're guilty. He had to die because of your sin. It was your sin that put him on the cross. And so Peter's preaching very direct, and he is preaching the glorious gospel of Jesus, which always exposes the darkness of the world. You know what brings a convicting message? The truth. The truth. Can, can I just tell you that I am convinced that today people do want the truth. But in absence of getting the truth, they'll settle for having their ears tickled. And we got a lot of ear ticklers. I said, we got a lot of ear ticklers. 
I'm telling you, when people will compromise the truth of the text so as to not offend someone, all you're doing is offending them to hell. And the Bible said that the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the preaching of the cross, is a scandalous, it's a stumbling block to those who are perishing. The Bible tells us it's offensive to preach the cross of Jesus the Christ. You don't believe me, watch the news sometime and there's something that'll happen and they'll have some religious leader on there and they can talk about generic God all day long. But they start talking about specific Jesus. Hello? I love, that's why I love folks like Franklin Graham and Dr. Robert Jeffries because when they get on, they don't care to say Jesus, buddy. They'll just throw, hey, it's Jesus is the only way. It doesn't matter what the question is. They'll get back to Jesus died for your sin. I love that, don't you? Hey, just, just move it where you need it to go. Talk about Jesus the Christ because that's what brings conviction. The Bible said they were pricked in their heart and they ask, what shall we do? Can I ask you, so I know we got some preachers here. When was the last time somebody just wanted to get saved in the middle of your message before you even gave an invitation to come forward? I was preaching a, a youth camp a number of years ago. And, and I got up and just, I mean, I just read my scripture and got started. And this, this 16-year-old boy walked up and, and he came up to the stage where I was preaching. And I'm, I'm like, what's he doing? I'm looking at his student minister like, do you see you got? And so I look at it, you know, it, it's kind of obvious. I've got to do something. I said, what are you doing? <laughs> and he said, I need to get saved. I said, sit down. I'm not through preaching. You, <laughs> you don't believe that, do you? Man, I, I'm like, Lord, how is this guy wanting to get saved? I hadn't even finished. I hadn't even got started preaching. I can't tell you how many times we've been in church and, and God will just get to moving and somebody will walk up and get saved, hadn't had any preaching. Oh, this is the most unbaptistic thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Do you know what happens when the Spirit of God moves? Amen. Hey, and He can move. You know when He moves? When the truth is proclaimed. If it's pro, it can be proclaimed in a song and His Spirit will get in it. It can be proclaimed in a testimony and His Spirit will get in it. It definitely ought to be proclaimed when we preach and proclaim the blessed Word of God. So how are we to be effective witnesses? I'm not just talking about from the pulpit. I'm talking about in your everyday life. Whenever you talk to someone about Jesus, use the truth. Because it's the power of God that brings people unto salvation and that's what brings conviction. Listen, I'm, I have gotten, in, I'm going to testify. Can I just testify for a minute? There's been occasions in the past where I got in the flesh in the pulpit. Y'all forgive me. I've asked God to forgive me. And I've said things I wish I hadn't said. I'll just be honest. And sometimes I've said things because I wanted, listen, I wanted folks to be convicted. And I knew what their sin was. And I just could never figure out why that didn't work. Because nothing happened. Except I made them mad. <laughs> and they let me know. That's how I know I made them mad, because they let me know. And then there's been times where I was right with the Lord, and I preached like I ought to preach, just the truth. And I didn't even touch on what somebody's sin was, and they fell in that altar convicted of God. You know what the difference is? It's all about Him and His truth proclaim the truth. Listen, the reason people are not drawn to our witness in Jesus is because we're not talking about him enough. 
It's not look at me, it's look at him. Not, not look at how good I am because I'm not. And he, you're not either. But he is. So if we want to see a convicting message, then we have to have a message that is filled with truth. So when you talk to someone about Jesus Christ, you look at them and say, do you know you're a sinner? I asked one guy, I said, do you know you're a sinner? He said, no, I've never sinned. I said, well, according to Scripture you have, which would you rather me believe, the Word or you? He figured out he was a sinner. Huh? Speak the truth. The Bible said you're a sinner. The Bible said all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Speak truth. Hey, the Bible said while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's how much he loves you. Hey, the Bible said that we deserve death because of our sin. The wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Hey, if you call on him, he'll save you. Speak the truth. And it's the Holy Spirit of God working through his word that brings conviction to the heart of a lost person. But watch this. I ask a question. What shall we do? They asked Peter, they asked the apostles. What do we do? I just love that. I mean, they are so overwhelmed. What do we do? We got to do something. What do we do? And a lot of us do real good presenting the gospel till somebody asks us that question. What do we do? Uh, 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 mm. My brothers and sisters, if we're going to be effective witnesses, number one, we've got to have a convicting message and that's the truth but secondly we've got to have a concise answer and so I'm saying to you when someone asks be ready to give an answer I believe the Bible says we ought to do that look, look what happened then Peter said boom I, he didn't have to think about it he didn't have to go make some notes up then Peter said here it is then Peter said repent somebody says what do we need to do to be saved number one repent what does that mean? We don't hear a lot of preaching on repentance today. That's offensive to folks too. Well, hey man, let's get on up in the corner of a patch while we're there, all right? Hey, what does it mean to repent? It means to turn around. It means to turn from your sin. Turn from the way you're going. Turn from living the life that is fulfilling the flesh and turn to the life that brings glory to God. Listen, repentance means this. Right here it is. It's going this way, going this way, and then... Turn around and go, that's, exact, that's a picture of repentance. Let me fill it out. Repent, I'm doing this because I like to do it. It feels good. It satisfies me, at least temporarily. And here I am, I'm going this way. But then I say, hey, it doesn't satisfy me. And so I turn my eyes upon Jesus and I start walking this way because that brings fulfillment. That brings completion. That brings everything I've been looking for. That's satisfaction in Jesus. Repentance means turn from your sin. Let me tell you something, friend. You can't live like the devil and live for Jesus at the same time. We want to make it easy and say, well, you can just say, you can just come to Jesus any old way you want to. No, you can't. You're going to come on his terms or not at all. And we can no longer compromise. Oh, Lord, help us to not be a people who compromise when it comes to the truth of the Word of God and to what it means to follow Jesus. You can't follow Jesus with one foot in the world and one foot in heaven. You can't do it. You can't have a divided heart and a divided mind. You've got to repent and turn from your sin. Well, well, preacher, I'm weak and I can't do it. Sure you can't. That's exactly right. 
but he can do it through you. You, listen, listen, you, you nor I have the ability to completely turn from sin. We can't do it. But listen, if you'll say, Lord, I'm tired of living in sin and I want to live for you, he'll turn you around. I said, he'll turn you around. I said, he'll turn you around. I've got too many testimonies I could share with you of those who were going the wrong way and they just submitted to the Lord and was willing to turn. And when they were willing to turn, he took them into his, Lord, help us have mercy. Repent! Can I tell you something, church? That's the message that needs to be heard all around our country. We've got to turn from our sin. We've got to turn from our wicked ways. The Lord said he would hear our prayer and he would bless our land when we turn. When we turn, and right now our nation is on a collision course with destruction. And the only thing that's going to change it is repentance. Repent! That's what Peter says, the first thing he said. So when somebody said, what shall we do? Tell them, you need to turn from your sin. You need to be willing to turn from it to the Lord. He said, repent and be baptized. Amen, I like that, don't you? I like that, don't you? Be bad. You like to baptize. Amen. I love to see folks baptized. There's just nothing like it. I used to tell folks from church I pastor, I said, y'all to be on the baptism committee. That's the most exciting committee in the church. Amen. Because you're up there when folks are going through the watery grave, giving a testimony that I'm dead to the old way of life, raised to walk in the news. Boy, that's good, isn't it? Amen. Let, let me help you a minute. Do you know that baptism is the first act of obedience for a follower of Christ? I know folks who say, I've been saved, I haven't been baptized. When did you get saved? About eight years ago. Lord, have mercy. What are you waiting on? Well, I'm just praying for the right time. The right time was eight years ago. Because as soon as you accept him, you're called to follow him in believer's baptism. It is a testimony. Listen, it's a testimony of what you've done. It is, baptism is the outward expression of what's happened on the inside. Lord, heaven, it's a picture of you being buried just like Jesus was buried. Amen. And it's a picture of you being resurrected just like Jesus was resurrected. Jesus died and rose from the dead. And you're putting a watery grave of death resurrected to the newness of life. But listen, I want to tell you something. This word baptized, it comes from the Greek word baptizo, and it means literally to immerse. To immerse. That means to go under completely. The picture here is that which we do in water baptism. We immerse under the water. But I want to show you something. There's even a greater picture here. We're not only immersed into the water through as a picture of baptism, but when we come to repent of our sin and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, my brothers and sisters, we are to be immersed in Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, we're to be buried in him. Our old life is gone. It's buried. And I've been raised alive because I'm in Jesus Christ and Jesus is in me. Listen, I'm telling you church, we are to be immersed in Jesus. And so Peter said, repent and be baptized. But watch this, watch this. It's beautiful. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now some of our friends believe you only baptize in the name of Jesus. And if you do it any other way, you're wrong. Well, I, I, and, and they take it from Acts. Baptizing Jesus only. I, I don't find that that's what Peter was saying right here. Because Jesus said in the Great Commission, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. 
I have no problem saying baptize him in the name of the Father, his precious son Jesus, and the Holy Ghost. That don't bother me. Amen. As a matter of fact, I've done that. I like it. I like to say the name of Jesus anyway, don't you? My, there's power in the name of it. I just feel all kind of liberty up in here this morning. I'm trying to finish, Brother Harold, because you can come preach. Listen, 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 listen. <laughs> this is not an admonition to Jesus-only baptism. This is an admonition to be baptized, immersed into the person of Jesus the Christ. That's what he's saying. And he said, watch this, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. Listen, the picture of baptism is not to wash away your sin. I had a young boy who got saved in our church, and, and he came to my office. His mother was there. My wife was there. And I'm explaining what baptism means. And, and his mother, who was faithful in our church, been coming for years, looked at me and said, I didn't know that. I thought we were baptized to wash away our sin." Hey, our hymnals even have it right. There's not a, not a song in there that says there's power, there's power, there's power in the water. But I did find one that said there's power, there's power, there's power in the blood. Come on now. I am buried in the old way of life in the watery grave as a picture of what has happened to me because I was buried in the blood of Jesus, cleansed from all... Mm. without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin but because of his blood my sins are forgiven I'm baptized immersed into Jesus immersed in a watery grave is a picture of what's happened on the inside I've been washed I've been cleansed I've been made whole by the blood of the lamb Woo. go ahead and help yourself rock that's good right there well I like that man mmm mmm Thank God for the blood. The Bible said, <laughs> whoo, y'all about to preach me today. He said, repent, be baptized everyone in the name of Jesus for remission of sin, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen. We sometimes get afraid. We start talking about the gift of the Holy Ghost, but you don't need to be afraid about the gift of the Holy Ghost. Gift of the Holy Ghost means you're filled with his presence. You're filled with who he is. And the day I accepted him as Lord and Savior, and the day you accepted him as Lord and Savior, you were filled with the Holy Ghost. Matter of fact, you got all the Holy Ghost you could stand. Matter of fact, the day you got saved, you got all the Holy Ghost you could ever handle. And so I hear Christians been say, they say, oh, I just need more of the Holy Ghost. No, you don't. No, you can't handle no more. You just need less of you. Come on now. If I want the Holy Spirit to be revealed in my life, i got to get less of me. Now what John said, I must decrease so that he can increase. See, the problem is not we need more. we got plenty. we got all we'll ever need. Listen, he doesn't just come and fill a little. I didn't invite him into a portion of my life. I said I didn't invite him into a portion of my life. I invited him to come in and take over. Amen. <laughs> Oh, that's good. I'd like to run about 18 rabbits right there. Listen. <laughs> and when he comes and takes control and fills me with his spirit, I must continually crucify self so that he can be revealed in and through me. And so when we meet Jesus, we have all the Holy Spirit we can handle. We have received the Holy Ghost. And, and, and I just want to say this. It ought to be evident in your life. 
You know, the Bible talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Peace, love, joy, peace, peace, love, joy, patience, you, you know. How many of those are there? How many fruit are there? One fruit. Those are nine pictures of that fruit. You don't get to pick and choose. They're all supposed to be evident in your life, amen? Because that's the fruit of the Spirit. Check me out in Galatians 5. That's the fruit of the Spirit. It just has all those different ways that it expresses himself, amen? It ought to be evident. Now, some people say that the initial evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit is speaking in an unknown tongue. But I submit to you that the initial evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit is not speaking in an unknown tongue, but being able to control the tongue you've got. Yeah, because the Bible said the tongue's the hardest member of the body to tame. You show me a man or a woman who's got their tongue under submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, I'll show you somebody filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Be filled with the Spirit. I've got to hurry. I've got to hurry. What makes an effective witness? A convicting message? A concise answer? We ready to give an answer after we preach a convicting word that tells the truth? And the third thing is a continual invitation. Boy, I like this. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as are called, as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourself from this untoward generation. Let me start with that word untoward. It it comes from a Greek word that we get our English word scoliosis from. You know what scoliosis is? It's the curvature of the spine. That's what scoliosis is. And so when he says untoward, he's saying, save yourself from this crooked generation. That's what the word untoward means. It's a crooked generation. I think he's preaching to us today. Now he says, save yourself. I know I'm starting at the end. Stay with me. Save yourself. Now, is Peter saying that there's some way that we can save ourselves? That's what he says, save yourself. Well, if that was what he was saying, then he just contradicted all of his previous message. Because what he was saying was, the only way to be saved is through Jesus the Christ. And when he says, save yourself, he's saying, take some initiative and give your heart to Jesus. Because if you get over there to Timothy, he says that God would, for all men, to be saved. That's God's desire, is for all men to be saved. Now that means there's some action involved. Some people think they just wake up and all of a sudden one day, saved. I'm saved. I talk to folks, are you a Christian? Yes, I'm a Christian. When did you get saved? Well, I've been a Christian all my life. Well, you a liar? You haven't been a Christian all your life? That's not true. Oh, I was raised in the church. Great. I've gone to church ever since I was a baby. Great, going to church don't make you a Christian. 1 Timothy 2 said, Who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth? What does that mean? It means there's action that's got to take place. You know what that action is? You've got to believe. When he said save yourself, he's saying you've got to believe. You've got to believe. Well, I believe God just woke me up one morning and said, I'm in the elect. That's not what the scripture teaches. You, you, you can't say that and back it up with scripture. 
Because he said he desires all men to be saved. 1 Peter 3 said, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. John 3, 16, for whosoever believeth. John 10, 13, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord. How do you save yourself? You trust Jesus Christ. You say, Lord, I'm a sinner, and I believe you're the Savior. I'm a sinner and need to be forgiven, and I believe because of your death on the cross, I can be forgiven. I'm lost and headed to hell, but because you rose from the dead, I can go to heaven. I choose Jesus. Come into my heart and be Lord of my life. One month, one month before my sixth birthday, I was at South Mountain Camp in the mountains of North Carolina at an RA camp. And I got down on my knees. I was five years old. One month before my sixth birthday, I got on my knees beside of a cot in that cabin. My daddy was on his knees beside me. I looked over at him. I said, Daddy, I need to get saved. (laughs) And that night, I asked Jesus to come into my heart. Now, I know that don't sound like much of a testimony, but you should have been in my shoes. Matter of fact, some of you would say there's no way that at five years old, one month before your sixth birthday, that you could understand all there is to know about soteriology. And I'd just like to confess... You're exactly right. There's no way I could understand the study of salvation. So tell you all, there's no way that I could appreciate the full doctrine of what salvation is. No way under heaven could a five-year-old comprehend that. But let me tell you what a five-year-old did know. I was lost. You know what you got to know to get saved? You're lost. You ever tried to win somebody to Jesus that didn't think they were lost? Can't do it. They have no need because they're not lost. I'm finding out today I got to help folk get lost before I can help them get found. Have y'all noticed that? Oh, I'm a pretty good person. Well, that doesn't mean a thing. I go to church. That doesn't mean a thing. Well, I've read the Bible. That doesn't mean a thing. Have you accepted Jesus the Christ? Listen, I got to help folk get lost. Folks don't have to have a great depth of understanding and knowledge of theology to get saved. They just got to know they're lost. And just for the record, I did not understand everything there was to know. But I'll just tell you, I've been to seminary. I've earned two degrees from one of your Southern Baptist seminaries in New Orleans. And I'm telling you what, I still don't understand all the depths of salvation. I'm just glad a God of grace would save a sinner like me. Thanks be to God. I can't explain it, but I'm glad I'm saved this morning. So he said, save yourself. You've got to take some initiative. When somebody says, what shall I do? Tell them the truth. Tell them the truth. Tell them how to be saved. And then say, now you need to ask Jesus into your heart. I can't ask Jesus into your heart for you. you got to do it. Save yourself. He said, save as, what did he say here? He said, this was for all who were afar off, as many as the Lord shall call. Who does the Lord call? Boy, that's a great word. And I believe I found it. Whosoever. Whosoever. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Amen. The Bible said in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2 that he is the propitiation for our sin and not our sins only but the sins of the whole world. I'm glad that's in there because this is why he helped me know who I could witness to. Yeah. Yeah, he told me who I could witness to. So if they from this side of the tracks or that side of the track, if they're white, black, purple, orange, yellow with red polka dots, it don't matter. If they're, listen, if they're a homosexual or if they're a whoremonger, it don't matter. Listen, who is it that I ought to witness to? If they breathe, I'm supposed to tell them about Jesus. If they breathe, they need to hear the message because he is not willing that any should perish. 
And I just came today to tell you he can save anybody. I said he can save anybody. I said he can save anybody. That's why we keep giving an invitation. That's why we keep calling people to Jesus. What makes an effective witness? A convicting message. Yes, a concise answer and a continual invitation, a continual call. My dear brothers and sisters, because he can save anyone, let us go forth from this place and tell a lost world that Jesus still saves. Let us go from this place and tell everybody we see, Jesus can save you. I'm glad to report to you that he can save the atheist and the agnostic. <laughs> Whoa, isn't that good news? He can save the atheist and the agnostic. He can save those who are blind and those who are belligerent to the truth. He can save the corrupt and the crooked. He can save the doubter and the drunkard. He can save the educated and the evildoer. He can save the fake and the fallen. He can save the grumbler and the greedy and the guilty. Boy, I'm glad for that, aren't you? Because we're all guilty, amen? I'm glad he can save the guilty. He can save the harlot and the hellion. He can save the indifferent Listen, he can save the ignorant, he can save the illegal, he can save the illegitimate, he can save the joker, he can save the jester, he can save the king and the knucklehead. Amen, aren't you glad? We serve a God who can save anybody. I'm glad, I'm glad he can save the loser and the lawless and the lonely. I'm glad he can save the bad man, the mean, and the misunderstood. I'm glad he can save your neighbor and my neighbor. I'm glad he can save this nation if she'll just repent repent and turn to him. I'm glad he's able to save the obscene, the oppressed, and the ostracized. He can save the prisoner, the prideful, the pretender, and the possessed. He can save the quack and the queen. Amen. There's nobody he can't save. He can save the religious, the reluctant, the rejected, and the repulsive. He can save the sinner. He can save the sophisticated. He can save the traitor. He can save the transgressor. He can save the unbeliever. He can save the unclean. I wish somebody would help me. He can save the vicious. He can save the violent. He can save the witch. He can save the worthless. He can save the X-rated. He can save the zealot. He can even save the zombie. I'm telling you, there's nobody Jesus can't save. Let's go tell the lost world Jesus saves.